So it's true, Shabbos has a lot of don'ts. The 39 categories of prohibited uh, activity, the 39 malachas, are large and vast and fascinating. We also have Isure Durabon, we have rabbinic prohibitions like Muksa, and we have uh, learned through several of them over the course of the years of the Shabbos Learning Project. However, there's a whole different aspect of Shabbos that I would like to take some time to delve into. Uh, as we know, there are two expressions of keeping Shabbos on the Luchos, Shamor V'Zachor. Shamor V'Zachor. We should guard, safeguard Shabbos and remember Shabbos. Uh, this represents two different aspects of keeping Shabbos. One is in the sense of staying away from things that take us out of Shabbos, of prohibitions. And the other is to be proactive about uh, keeping Shabbos and sanctifying Shabbos. So this class and the coming class are going to be about some aspects of positively keeping Shabbos. So this class is going to be about Kiddush. We're going to discuss when to make Kiddush. We're going to talk about blessing children. We're going to talk about uh, not eating before Kiddush, how that affects adults and children. And then we'll go through some of the details of the Kiddush procedure. Um, if unless specified otherwise, everything in this class is going to be about Friday night Kiddush. And then next week, in Mir Hashem, we will get to Shabbos Day Kiddush, uh, aspects of uh, Lecha Mishnah, and related topics. So let's start with Kiddush, the Friday night Kiddush. So first of all, the Shulchan Aruch says, When a person comes home, they should rush to eat right away. Uh, the Gemara in Sachim says that we have an obligation to sanctify Shabbos, uh, and that is to the way in which we do that is by reciting Kiddush right when Shabbos comes in. Zachor es Yom Shabbos Lakacho. You should remember the day of Shabbos to sanctify it. Misha Shemiskadesh Hayom. The interpretation of that pasuk is Lakacho to sanctify it at the time that the sanctity of the day sets in. So we should be making Kiddush. Uh, right away when we come home. The Mishnah notes that if a person is not hungry, uh, let's say this week is going to be Shabbos, Hanukkah. So let's say along with the uh, uh, candle lighting before going to shul, you had an extra latke or two, and now you're not so hungry when you come home. So what do you do then? So the Mishnah says that if you are not hungry, you can wait a bit in order to, uh, to have the Shabbos Suda to fulfill that mitzvah with gusto. But he also adds that if there are hungry guests, one should not wait, even though there is a benefit to waiting and it enhances your meal. But as Mishabura says, I'm paraphrasing, he says, don't be from on other people's account. Meaning, when you want to be extra scrupulous about something, that is wonderful. When you want to attain higher levels of Avodah Hashem, that's great. But one need not do so on somebody else's account. It's told uh, that the Chafetz Chaim uh, would sometimes even delay the singing of Shalom Aleichem and Eishas Chayel, the traditional song sung at the beginning of the Shabbos meal. He would delay them until after Kiddush when there were hungry guests, even though that is a prevalent tradition, and even though that's not considered to be a delay in Kiddush because it's um, kind of leading into Kiddush, but it's told that the Chafetz Chaim would be very cognizant of his, uh, of his guests, especially if they were hungry. Uh, we find something similar in Hilchah Sukkah. On the first night, there's a special mitzvah to eat in the sukkah. If it rains, then we're supposed to wait 
for an opportunity to go and, and uh, fulfill that mitzvah of eating in the sukkah. And the Mishruah brings that there are some who say to wait all the way until Chatzos, until midnight, halachic midnight. Um, but he adds that one should not be doing so if it delays the whole family, both adults and children, um, from eating. His words are, There is no uh, greater prevention of enjoying yantif than this, than delaying, make, making people hungry, causing them to wait around uh, to eat. And therefore, he says at most you should wait an hour or two. And in a footnote, he adds that if you have aniyim as your guests, if you have poor people who are very hungry, then you should not wait at all, not even that hour or two. So to be sure, he gives specific halachic reasoning for this. He's not suggesting that one ignore halacha in order to save some discomfort. But he is saying that one should not be extra machmir, extra stringent on somebody else's account. So that's just an interesting side point that comes out of this first step in, in Hilcha's Kiddush. So number one, make Kiddush right away, if possible, when you come home. In the course of preparing for this uh, class, I came across a few svarim that indicate that there's a minhag and is a good thing to do when, if you have a scenario, a typical scenario in which you have um, a wife and children at home and a husband comes home from Shul on Friday night, should walk in and say, good Shabbos uh, to all present. This creates an, an atmosphere and an air of, of, of Shabbos setting in and of, of turning towards the uh, Seuda. But there is, it's interesting, there's actually some halakhic weight behind the idea of saying good Shabbos. Um, so let me just describe what that is very briefly. So first of all, we know that men and women are both obligated in keeping Shabbos. The positive, positives and prohibitions of Shabbos are equally uh, obligatory upon men and women, whereas the other areas of halacha in which there's differences, when it comes to Shabbos, they're the same. So both a man and a woman have an obligation to sanctify Shabbos or to have somebody else sanctify Shabbos and be motzi them, discharge their, their obligation. Um, the general rule is that I can fulfill, help you fulfill your obligation if we have the same level of obligation. So I can, for example, I can um, I could bench for you. If we, we have to say Berchas Amazon after the meal, I can mention for you, and then you can listen, and I could be Motsi, I can fulfill your obligation. If we have separate levels of, of, of obligation, for example, a child, a child is not obligated on a biblical level. There's some degree of a rabbinic obligation. So a child can't be Motsi, can't fulfill the obligation of an adult because they're on different, um, they're holding in different places in their level of, of obligation. That's a general principle in halacha. So now when it comes to Kiddush, there are actually two aspects of reciting Kiddush. There is the biblical obligation to recite Kiddush, which is to verbalize a sanctification that today is special. Um, and there's a certain formula for that. And there's also the, the rabbinic obligation to do that over, over wine. The connection between the recitation and wine is rabbinic in nature. So a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, both have a biblical obligation to sanctify, sanctify Shabbos. According to, to the Magan Avram, um, a, a husband who is in Shul, uh, reciting various passages that have to do with uh, Shabbos, sanctif- uh, uh, recognizing that Shabbos, in effect fulfill their obligation of sanctifying Shabbos. Either uh, in Shmon Esrei itself, or according to the Mishnah Bura and Berlacha, it's by saying Vishamru, um, the passage before Shemona Esrei. Um, there are different points during davening 
where the post can indicate that a husband has fulfilled the obligation of sanctifying the day. In which case, when a husband comes home, he has already fulfilled his obligation. He no longer has the biblical obligation to recite Kiddush. He just has the rabbinic obligation of, uh, of doing so over wine. But his wife, who had not davened, not said these passages, was not in shul, she still has her biblical obligation. So the question is, how can a husband make Kiddush and fulfill the obligation of those at home who have not yet davened? Because he has already fulfilled. He's been Yotze. He's fulfilled his obligation. And those he's making Kiddush for have not. So how does that work? Um, the most uh, widely accepted approach is to challenge that notion that the husband has fulfilled his obligation in Shul. Uh, there are various elements of Kiddush missing from, from the passages said, stated in Shul. But another op- option, many cite that the great Rabbi Akiva Eger, in his glasses on Shulchan Aruch, um, he opines, he, he, he offers the possibility that by saying Shabbat by saying good Shabbos, we actually get around this issue. When a husband comes home and he says, good Shabbos to his wife, and his wife's right, wife replies, good Shabbos to him, there's room to suggest that she fulfills her obligation of Kiddush that way, at least the biblical recitation part of Kiddush. And, um, you know, the Be'er Lacha notes this might not be enough because Kiddush must contain elements of praise, uh, but others say that good Shabbos is actually praise. Now, we don't say good Sunday or good Monday, um, we only say good Shabbos because Shabbos is special. And by saying good Shabbos, in, uh, using the, the Yiddish formulation, or by saying uh, Shabbat Shalom, something like that, we're indicating today is a special day. And according to this um, this uh, path carved out by Rabbi Kiva Eger and others, we actually fulfill our biblical obligation of reciting Kiddush by saying the words good Shabbos. So this discussion doesn't have much practical application because, um, as I noted before, we are generally not concerned with this. We, we do not maintain that a husband fulfills his obligation. Everyone's on the same level. He comes home. He makes Kiddush. Everybody is Yotze, and it's wonderful. But it's something to keep in mind the next, ta- next time you say good Shabbos in passing. It's not just a formality or a cordial greeting or a sign of religiosity. If done right with the proper intention, it can actually be a spiritually uplifting statement that can serve in the same capacity as Kiddush itself. So that was a little um, digression about the concept of Kiddush in general and how we may fulfill that by saying the words Good Shabbos, and hopefully that will uplift your next uh, Shabbos greeting. Moving along, let's talk about the next step, um, the next customary step in the Kiddush process, and that is blessing of children. Uh, those who are blessed to have children at home, uh, many have this minhag of at Kiddush time, uh, blessing, blessing their children. After Kiddush, many do it after Kiddush before starting, uh, before saying uh, Hamotzi, others do it before Kiddush. Sometime at this point during the Friday night uh, uh, procedure, we bless the children. It's a generations old minhag, in halachic literature, it goes all the way back to the 1500s, um, the days of the Maharal. Uh, the Sefer Imre Noam contends that this minhag goes all the way back to Yaakov Avinu. He suggests that the blessings of Hamalach HaGoel, given to Ephraim and Menashe, in, in the coming Parsha actually, uh, was given to Ephraim and Menashe on Shabbos. 
So the first idea of blessing children uh, goes all the way back according to this uh, Sefer Imre Noah. Uh, the Sefer Mavri Abok says that the reason why we bless our children on Friday night is because the Koach Habracha, the strength of our ability to bless, is stronger due to the fact that we have a Neshama Yaseira. We have an extra soul, an extra dose of, um, of spiritual existence exists on Shabbos. And that's what we use when we, when we bless each other and when we engage in spiritual activities on Shabbos. And therefore, the, our Koach Habracha, any time, is a good time for blessing. Shabbos is even better because the strength of our blessing uh, is, is, is greater. Uh, the Chassam Sofer um, says a practical reason as to why we, we bless our children on Friday night, on Shabbos, is simply because we are just less distracted and we're more focused on Shabbos. And uh, being less distracted by weekday things and by things in general gives us greater kavana, greater focus. And kavana is the engine that drives our prayers and drives our brachos. So that's why we bless our children on, on Friday night. Um, there is a, uh, years ago, I came across a passage of Torah Tamima, the Sefer Torah Tamima on Chumash, who notes on the, uh, this is on the bracha, that on the birchas kohanim, on the birchas kohanim that we experience here in Chutz Laaretz uh, on Yamim Tovim, uh, on that passage, the Torah Tamima, it talks about the fact that there is a prohibition. Chazal tells us there's a prohibition of a non-Kohen utilizing the Berchas Kohanim, the bracha that is spe- specifically designed for Kohanim to give Yisrael. If a non-Kohen goes about that procedure in a certain way, that is a prohibition. And he uh, he quotes there that at the wedding of uh Reish Yudches Landau. I think, I don't know, I have to check the, if the dates work out, but it sounds like it's Rabbi Yechezkel Landau, the Nodibi Huda. Um, at his wedding, the Gra was present, and the Gra, the great Vilna Goen, blessed the Chassan, and he placed only one hand upon his head. And the reason for that is because um, there is concern that if one uses both hands, they're effectively utilizing the bracha of the Birchas Kohanim of the Kohanim, um, and that's that's not proper, that's not right, that is a prohibition. So therefore, by using one hand, you indicate that you're not actually uh, usurping the power of the blessing of the priests of the Kohanim, and um, that is a minhag cited in, in the Torah Tmim and other sources. Uh, there are many other sources that say that two hands is, is fine, even preferable. Uh, you, can, you concentrate the bracha more by placing two hands, and... Um, and uh, the Ber Lacha says nobody has kavana to, uh, to, to utilize the Kohanic blessing at this time. It's, it's, it's a formula which is in the Torah, the formula of blessing in the Torah that we'd like to utilize. Okay, so we spoke about when to make Kiddush and not to delay unless there is a good cause. We spoke about the idea of saying good Shabbos. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I don't mean to indicate there's an obligation to, to do so. Or to come in and frighten your family with belting out good Shabbos because of, uh, because of the uh, powerful ideas mentioned in this podcast. But it's uh, good to know and good to infuse our good Shabbases with a little extra meaning. And then we spoke about the notion of blessing children. Why specifically on Friday night? Uh, the, the, some degree of concern for, two, for put, using two hands when blessing children, but that the, I think the prevalent uh, minhag is not to be concerned for that. 
and to actually use two hands when blessing children. Uh, now let's reverse course a little bit. We talked about Kiddush, the obligations of Kiddush. There is also a prohibition here against eating, kid, eating before Kiddush. Uh, one can't eat, one is not supposed to eat anything or even drink even water um, before hearing or making Kiddush. And this is different. We've, we find the idea of not eating before mitzvahs pretty prevalent. Uh, like it says before shaking a lulav or hearing Megillah or listening to the shofar, um, there is a prohibition against engaging in meals. Um, in all those cases, te'ima, tasting something, um, water, certainly, uh, drinks in general, uh, even having a little bit of pear, some fruit, something that's not meal-like is permitted, right? So we have this idea of not eating before mitzvos, but kiddush seems to be something totally different because generally when you can't eat before a mitzvah, that means you can't have a meal, but tasting a little bit here and there is fine. When it comes to kiddush, uh, we don't do that either. So why is that? The Magen Avram explains that Kiddush, is, it, this time is more stringent because the time for Kiddush, as we said above, is immediate. When a person comes home, uh, as the Shulchan Aruch says, when you get home, make Kiddush right away. So therefore, the time is right away, as opposed to Lulav, where a person is able to, is able to fulfill the mitzvah at dawn, but it can, he can fulfill it throughout the day. And the same thing with other mitzvahs. That's one reason why Kiddush might be more stringent. Um, Rabbi Kiva Eger says that when it comes to other mitzvahs, the prohibition against eating is not actually part of the mitzvah. It's a preventative measure to guard against getting carried away, getting involved in a meal, and missing the time to perform the mitzvah. Here with Kiddush, it's actually part of the idea of Kiddush is to sanctify Shabbos with the very first thing that we consume. So eating or even drinking would take away from the mitzvah of Kiddush itself. And that's why there's an extra level of prohibition uh, not to drink, not to eat, or even drink before reciting Kiddush. Um, If somebody is very hungry or thirsty, so you can always make Kiddush. You don't have to wait until the official procession can make Kiddush earlier. If that doesn't work, um, then... Uh, according to many, you can eat and drink as long as it's before nightfall. If there's uh, one is very hungry, thirsty, there's extenuating cir- circumstances, uh, nursing mothers, um, all sorts of scenarios in which this might be applicable, not in regular case, but in extenuating circumstances, there is room to allow for eating and drinking, even before, before Kiddush, as long as nightfall, tzais, hasn't hasn't set in. Um, another interesting important thing to note is that according to the Minchas Yitzchak and others, it's okay to take medicine um, with water before Kiddush because you're not, when you take medicine with water, the water is just serving a utilitarian purpose. You're not enjoying the water, water and therefore you wouldn't make a brach on it. So you can have some medicine even before Kiddush with a little bit of, of water if necessary. So that's the prohibition against eating before Kiddush on, on Friday night. Now, very common question. What about children? Uh, should we be educating? Usually, we educate our children to keep mitzvahs. Once they reach the age of chinuch, once they reach the age that they can understand um, the ideas that we are trying to teach them, then we have an obligation to teach our children how to keep Torah properly. So, is there a certain age in which we should educate our children, our non-bar and bas mitzvah children, not to eat? 
this actually came up internally in the in the shul internal shul discussions because this coming Shabbos on Friday night of Shabbos Hanukkah we're going to be hosting a ruach Kabbalah Shabbos uh, with extra singing and uh, in order to um, allow people to to come with their families and to enjoy and celebrate Shabbos we are um, in, inviting children and providing for a a, um, a children's program during uh, Meyer of time so that families can come enjoy the Lebedic Ruach-filled uh, Kabbalah Shabbos, and then during the Tefillah time of Ma'ariv, so the children can, can go out and have a separate activity. And the question was, we're going to have a room full of children, I mean, it's Hashem, and um, can we hand out candy? Can we hand out treats? This is before Kiddush. So the question boils down to this. Do we have some sort of chinuch, uh, um, uh, education, in ensuring our children don't eat before Kiddush? So I looked into it. Revel Yashiv actually did pask in this way. He said, unless a child declares that they are particularly hungry or thirsty, um, then yes, then we would uh, teach them not to eat or drink before Kiddush. That's Revel Yashiv Zatzal's opinion. But there are many who are lenient, uh, including uh, Rav Pinchas Scheinberg and others. And, um, and that is also a quite a prevalent custom is to allow children to eat and drink even before Kiddush, even handing out candy. Um, the source of the, dis- of the discussion of this idea is actually from the Minhag uh, to recite Kiddush in Shul on Friday night. Lengthy discussions in the Magan Avram and other postgame that talk about the idea of Kiddush on Friday night and how that's not a place where Kiddush should work. There's no meal following. And therefore, uh, we don't have adults drink that Kiddush. We rather we give it to, to children. The details of this discussion are, are interesting and they are um, instructive and have to do with the halachic concept of chinuch as being training for when a child grows older and becomes an adult. Uh, the details of this discussion are it's probably not best for this particular podcast, but suffice it to say that um, I, I've spoken to a contemporary postgame who told me that the leniency to have children eat before Kiddush is due to the principle that we don't cause our children active physical discomfort in the course of educating them. It's similar to the idea that we don't train children to fast or to mourn. Um, we, don't, uh, we don't have them fasting when they are younger. Uh, we don't cause them active physical discomfort. And similarly, we don't restrict their eating um, before, before Kiddush. So that's the opinion of the more lenient approach to allow, even though we know there is a prohibition against uh, eating or drinking, even drinking, as mentioned above, before Kiddush, it doesn't necessarily apply to children below bar and bas mitzvah. Now let's uh, let's get into the Kiddush procedure. So the Kiddush cup should hold a revis. That's a halachic measurement that is somewhere in between. This is not going to be that helpful because it's a broad range. Um, but it, the range of possibilities is between 3.2 ounces and 5.3 fluid ounces of, of liquid. Many, many, many Kiddush cups hold something in that range. Um, so the cup has to hold that amount. That's not how much you have to drink, but that's how much the cup has to hold. Um, we are to do shtifa, rinse the cup ahead of time. Some say wiping down the cup is enough to make sure that it is clean and ready to serve as a vehicle of Kedusha. Uh, the cup should be filled all the way to the brim. If you don't have enough Kiddush or uh, you know, grape juice or wine, 
you can add ice cubes to the kiddish. I'm calling it kiddish because that's what my kids call it. <laughs> grape juice is not grape juice in my house. It's called kiddish. Can I have more kiddish? <laughs> so that's where that uh, that phrase comes in. Anyway, you can add ice cubes to your mm, kiddish. Uh, if that's not practical, you can make kiddish on a cup. It's not completely full, but it has to still hold that at minimum 3.2 fluid ounces um, that goes for both Friday night. We're going to talk about Shabbos Day in the next class. Wine is preferred, but grape juice is perfectly acceptable. Um, the grape juice or wine, the kiddush that's in the cup, should not be pugum, meaning it shouldn't have been drunken, drunken. How do you say that? <laughs> Someone shouldn't have partook of that cup before you. That would make it pugum. That would make it flawed. Um, if that happens, if someone drinks, you know, this happens sometimes uh, more on Shabbos Day when you come to a kiddush and you somebody, the rabbi or someone already made kiddush, uh, you shouldn't be using that cup that the person already made kiddush from because they drank from that cup. Um, if that happens, you can add more wine to it and you're really supposed to pour the wine back in the bottle. But even just adding more wine to it will take care of the issue of it being flawed or pugum. Uh, last, I just want to mention that um, if you have open wine or a wine bottle that was moved by a non-Jew, that cannot be consumed. It's under the category of yain nesach, of wine used for libations. So if you have an open wine or a wine bottle, um, like a cup of wine or wine bottle that was moved by a non-Jew, it can't be consumed. If the bottle was just touched, um, or even if it was closed, even not sealed, if it was just touched, or if it was moved but the wine bottle was closed, then the wine is still permitted. Uh, many maintain this prohibition doesn't apply to wine that was already cooked, mavushal wine, and some say that's also true to wine that was pasteurized. This is a large separate topic, but as long as we're talking about Kiddush wine, I wanted to, to mention some of the basics of the concept of uh, Stam Yena. Okay, so that's the Kiddush procedure. And the last thing I want to discuss here in this class is sitting or versus standing for Kiddush. This part of the class is dedicated to my father-in-law. Um, because he, well, because he's wonderful, but also because there, is, I don't think there has been a single Shabbos or Yantif um, over the many years in which we have we have spent uh, Shabbos and Yantif together, in which this topic doesn't come up. My father-in-law is a sitter for Kiddush, and I am a stander, and uh, he always raises this issue, noting that the preference is to sit, and uh, challenging me to give an explanation as to why we would stand for, for Kiddush. So um, I'm going to elaborate a bit on this topic, um, and this will be the final topic for this, uh, for this week. But let's talk about sitting versus standing. And the structure of this part of the class is going to be, uh, I'm going to give the reasons for standing, and then the reasons for sitting, and then talk about what the halacha is according to contemporary poskim. So here we go. It starts uh, like this. The Shulchan Aruch says that one is to stand, this is Friday night, one is to stand for the passage of Vayechulu, when we declare that Hashem uh, finished creation and set up Shabbos and made Shabbos for us. Um, and then the Shulchan Aruch says, you stand for Vayechulu, and then he writes, you make the bracha of Bore Prihagafen. It's not entirely clear. Um, if he means to continue standing, or if the Shulchan Aruch means to sit when making the brachas. 
The Ramah says afterwards clearly that a person can stand for the whole Kiddush, but it's better to sit. Okay, so in the Ramah, it's clear that it's better to sit. The Shulchan Aruch uh, can be read both ways. So what's going on? Why would we sit? Why would we stand? So it seems clear that for the beginning of Kiddush, Vayichulu, the preference is certainly to stand. Um, and this is for two basic reasons. Number one, Shabbos is called a kala. It's called a bride. And we stand up to, uh, to greet the kala. We stand up to greet the, the bride. The Gemara in Bavakama, and Lamed Beis and Beis, the Gemara there is actually talking about damages caused by somebody running in the public thoroughfare. And it presents the halacha that when running is done with permission, when a person is allowed to run, they are exempt from damages that they might inadvertently cause in the course of their running. The Gemara wants to know what's a case, what's a scenario in which a person is permitted to run, Birushus, when is it permitted for him to be running around in the public thoroughfare? The Gemara says, the answer is, Bo'u v'neitze likras kala malkasa. It's talking about on Friday evening, when we get up and we go out to greet the Shabbos queen. The Mepharshim, the Marsha, and the Ben Yehoyada explain the, this idea that Shabbos is called a bride. And we get up to greet the bride. Um, they cite the Medrash uh, in Bereshis. The Medrash says that every day of the week has a partner. Sunday has Monday. Tuesday has Wednesday. Thursday has Friday. They have partners. Shabbos turns to Hashem and complains and says, but I have no partner. And Hashem says to Shabbos, I'm giving you Klal Yisrael. I'm giving you the Jewish people as your partner, Shabbos. And therefore, Shabbos is our queen. And we run out to greet the queen. Um, the Gemara says to go and greet her. From the context, it means to physically get up and go. I once, uh, for many years, I had the privilege of attending a minion, a spirited minion on Friday night. And the, the minig of that minion was um, at the end of Lechadodi, um, the minion would actually dance when we turn around at the very end of Lechadodi to greet the Shabbos queen, the, the minhag of this minion was to actually dance back and forth uh, and, and greet the Shabbos queen. And it kind of follows, it feels like that's what's being presented in, the, in this Gemara. Rav Moshe Feinstein analyzes two Gemaras that depict the Kabbalah's Shabbos behavior of two Amaraim, Rabbi Hanina and Rabbi Yanai. According to one account, Rabbi Hanina called Shabbos Kala Malkasa as I mentioned before, the Bride Queen. According to the other account, he called Shabbos, Shabbos HaMalka. He called Shabbos the Shabbos Queen, didn't mention anything about Shabbos being a bride. And Ramosha Feinstein, in his tshuva, on his response on this issue of standing versus sitting, he analyzes these Gemaras and zeroes in on this difference of expression. Is Shabbos called just a um, queen? Or is Shabbos called a bride and a queen? Is it a queen or is it a, br- a bride? Um, and he explains that this is due to two fundamentally different approaches to Shabbos. All agree that Shabbos is, is also royalty, called a queen in this Gemara and the Rambam and certain places in the Beis Yosef. It's called, Shabbos is called a king. Not for now. It's also an interesting discussion as to why we call Shabbos a queen or a king. Um, but all agree that it is it, Shabbos' is royalty. Um, all also agree 
that Shabbos is a bride. As we mentioned above, the Medrash refers to Shabbos as being the bride of Kalal Yisrael, of the Jewish people. The question is, when was or is the wedding? Was the wedding a one-time event that occurred at creation? Or is it something that happens each and every week? Is the wedding a one-time thing, or do we have this wedding each and every week? Reb Moshe explains. The Gemara that calls Shabbos a bride believes that this wedding happens each and every week. Each and every Friday night, there is a new wedding of us to Shabbos Kodesh. According to the other position, that Shabbos is just a queen and not called a bride who we go and greet each week, that opinion maintains that Shabbos was once our bride and now we're married, and the wedding doesn't happen each and every week. Ramosha concludes this little discussion, saying that the correct position, lahalacha, the halachic position is, and that the majority of opinions support the text that indicates that Shabbos is indeed a bride each and every week. And therefore it would follow that Kiddush should be said when standing. And the Shalom notes that the blessings for the Kala are done when standing. So this idea of making Kiddush, greeting Shabbos, should also be done when standing. So based upon um, this Medrash, Shabbos is called a Kala. Based upon the two Gemaras that also talk about the idea of Shabbos being a bride, based upon the Kolbo presented in the Beis Yosef that also speaks about the idea of standing for a bride, and uh, based upon the Arizal uh, that Alpi Kabbalah, according to the Kabbalistic understanding, uh, maintains that one should be standing uh, for the entirety of Kiddush, which we'll get to in a moment, that would be a reason to stand at least for Vayichulu, for the first passage. Now, what about for the rest of Kiddush? In the end, Rav Moshe Feinstein in this tshuva says that it's better to sit unless one comes from a different minhag, uh, their family minhag, because the Ramah and others find those other reasons more compelling. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Anyway, reason number one to stand for Kiddush is the notion that Shabbos is a bride. Reason number two is brought in the Mishnah Bura, who says that by, by saying the passage of Ayichulu, we are giving testimony about the creation of the world. Not everyone knows who created the heavens and earth, and everything in it. So each and every week we testify to the world that Hashem is the creator of the world. Edos, testimony in court, is given when one is standing. And that's another reason to stand, at least for the passage of Vayichulu. Parenthetically, I also note there is a third minhag, um, not to stand for Vayichulhu, or for the whole Kiddush, but to stand for the words Yom Hashishi, Vayichulu Hashemayim. Uh, this is quoted in the Ramah, because Yom Hashishi, Vayichulu Hashemayim, if you take the first letter of every one of those words, you spell out yud Hey vav and Hey, that is uh, uh, Hashem's name, which is alluded to, uh, by the beginnings of each of those words. So we're standing for the Shem Hashem that we are alluding to when we say Kiddush. Um, that would be a third reason to stand, at least for the very, very beginning of Kiddush. Now, it seems clear from Tosos and from the Ramah that sitting is preferred when saying the rest of Kiddush. And this is for two reasons. Number one, um, Kiddush is to take place at the Su'uda. According to some, it's actually the start of the meal. It's Bimokum Suda. It's the place of and the start of a meal. And a meal is eaten when seated. Therefore, Kiddush should be recited while seated. That's reason number one. Reason number two is related to a concept we mentioned earlier about the idea of fulfilling somebody else's obligation. 
um, in order to be motzi somebody else, to, fu- to fulfill their obligation, we both have to have intention that I am making Kiddush for you and you are being, yo- you're being Yotze, you are fulfilling your obligation with my Kiddush. And we have to be engaged in Kiddush together. We have to be engaged in the same activity and occupy the same space. Seating creates that kvius. Seating creates that, that bond between us, that we are both in this at the same spot at the same time. So it creates that kvius. That would be a second reason for sitting while reciting Kiddush, at least when you're being motze, when you are fulfilling somebody else's obligation as well. Okay, so that is, in a nutshell, two and a half, two reasons why um, everybody agrees that at least the beginning of Kiddush should be, should be said while standing, and two reasons why it is preferred for the second half of Kiddush to be recited while sitting. So how this all plays out is as follows. As I said before, everyone agrees that, um, almost everyone agrees, that one should be standing for the beginning, meaning when you say the Vayichulu paragraph, that should be recited while standing to signify the greeting of the Shabbos Queen um, and the idea of giving testimony that Hashem created the world. The Ramah prefers that we sit down for the remainder of Kiddush, but he also leaves room for standing. He says it's okay to stand as well. Hasidic custom follows the Arizal, who stood for the entire Kiddush. Uh, some actually learn that as being the approach of the Shulchan Aruch, but we know that clearly that the Arizal and Hasidic custom is to stand for the entirety of Kiddush, not just, not just for Vayichulu, but to take the Ramaz dispensation for allowing us to continue standing and stand for the entirety of Kiddush. Ramosha Feinstein, that I mentioned before, in his Chuva, in the fifth Chelek of Orachayim, he concludes that the best option is to follow the Ramah's preference to stand for the beginning and then sit for the continuation, for the brachas of Kiddush. But those who have a, a, uh, a set family minhag to stand should continue to do so, says Moshe Feinstein. And by the way, uh, an interesting parenthetical remark, very related though, he says that the idea for standing for Kiddush only applies to Shabbos, as we mentioned above, when we recite Vayichulu, and you have the kala, the, the uh, bride aspects of, aspect of Shabbos. But this does not apply to Yontav nights. Um, and my personal minhag is to stand for Yontav Kiddush. I believe many who stand for Friday night also stand for Kiddush. And Moshe Feinstein says that there's, he doesn't know of a reason for that. So we'll have to look into that. Um, so that is, in a nutshell, the idea, the reasons to stand um, for at least part of Kiddush, the Arizal's preference for standing for the entirety of Kiddush, and then the reasons for the Ramah's ultimate psak, and Ramosh's preference, which is, to, which is to sit for the continuation of, of Kiddush. So this was not said in an attempt to convince anybody to do anything different than what they have already been doing, but to give per- a person more of an understanding of what they are doing and why they are doing it. Um, and thank you for listening. Have a wonderful, sanctified, holy Shabbos and a, uh, um, a lichtige, a light-filled Shabbos Hanukkah.